If you're joining us for the first time, here at Refuge, we teach through God's Word verse by verse. Um, And so this year, it's been a little different because we haven't been in one book going verse by verse, but we've been going through the Gospels in chronological order Um, and just reading through the harmony of the Gospels. And it's it's been amazing. Um, It's been a really good time so far. So for the past two weeks, we were in John's Gospel in John chapter 6, and Jesus had... Just finished feeding the 5,000. If you remember back a few weeks ago, Jesus had heard the news that John the Baptist was killed. And upon hearing this news, Jesus, he went to a deserted place by himself. However, because of Jesus' reputation and fame spreading, he couldn't be alone for long. And thousands of people followed Jesus and were seeking to hear from him and see miracles. And it really showed us the heart of Jesus, because though Jesus went to have this alone time, he still had compassion on the people, and he healed their sick, he taught them, and then he fed the 5,000 in an amazing miracle. Well, shortly after this, Jesus left that area, and the people followed Jesus, and they came to Jesus seeking to receive instead of seeking to surrender to him. If you remember in John 6, the multitudes, they just wanted to see more signs from Jesus. They didn't want to truly surrender to him. They just wanted to receive more from him. And Jesus taught the people that in order to truly follow him, they needed to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And the multitude took that teaching literally, and they weren't pleased with it. When Jesus was really just seeking communion... And Jeff made a great point last week, and I've been thinking about this all week, but he said Jesus was not interested in the quantity of his followers. He was interested in the quality of his followers. And that's significant. And we saw in John chapter 6, verse 66, that thousands of these followers turned away and followed Jesus no more. However, the 12 disciples, they followed Jesus And Peter ended the chapter by saying, Lord, where else are we going to go? For you have the words of eternal life. And for each one of us as Christians, I'm sure we can agree with that statement by Peter. There is nowhere else to go but Jesus. There is no other hope or peace or life. And maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I extend the question to you that Peter asked, where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to find hope? Where else are you going to find peace? Where else are you going to find the forgiveness of your sins? So today, we're going to pick up where we left off, but we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back table. So Matthew chapter 15, we're going to start in verses 1 through 2. So if you're following along, look what it says. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they did not wash their hands when they eat bread. So Jesus is currently in the region of Galilee, and the religious leaders, they come from Jerusalem to Jesus. Now the intention in the religious leader's heart was to question Jesus because they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to find any accusation they could against him to deliver him over to be imprisoned or or killed. And they questioned and doubted Jesus to discredit his lordship and once again to trap him in his words. Ultimately, these religious leaders, they kept coming up with reasons not to believe and surrender to Jesus. And you read the the arguments that they bring to Jesus. You see what they're saying to him. They just keep finding things to bring before Jesus. They keep trying to find excuses not to surrender to him. 
And maybe you're in here today and that really describes you. You are looking for every reason not to follow Jesus. You're looking for every excuse not to just make Him the Lord of your life. So the religious leaders come to Jesus and they ask why His disciples did not wash their hands when they eat bread. And they accuse the disciples of breaking the tradition or to violate the command of the elders. Now, you have to understand the religious leaders, they had the law of God and they were very zealous for it. And they were zealous for God and for His law. But the religious leaders, they created thousands of man-made precepts and statutes that they added on top of the law of God. And so they would teach these commandments and these traditions and these statutes that they created. And they would say, in order to obey God, you need to do these things. And so what they ended up creating was a legalistic system that no one could perfectly follow. It was impossible. And so they come and they ask Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands before they eat bread? And I want you to notice in verse 2, there's a key word that really stands out in the religious leader's question to Jesus. And that word is tradition. The word tradition is key here. Why? Because the religious leaders move their focus off of the word of God and they put their focus onto traditions and customs. Their ministry was no longer centered around God's commands, but rather man-made traditions. And oh, how many Christians are doing the same thing today? Taking culture and taking traditions and putting them above the Word of God. Trying to take the priority off the Word of God and putting them on the resources of man. The resources of man never saved a soul, nor can they. The only thing that has the power to change and save a soul is the Word of God. And this is why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. But let's see how Jesus responds to this question in verses 3-6. through He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother... And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. So Jesus, he comes and he counters the argument of the religious leaders, and he says, you're accusing the disciples of violating man-made traditions, but you are violating the commands of God. And Jesus was telling these religious leaders that their traditions did not line up with what God was commanding them. And Jesus, he didn't merely make this accusation to the religious leaders, but he gives an example of it. Many times when the religious leaders went to pursue this this lifestyle of being a religious leader, they would leave their, their family, they would leave their father and their mother, they would no longer seek to provide for them, and they would say, I can't because I'm going to do God's work. And so Jesus, he he quotes the sixth commandment that God gave to honor your father and your mother. And he tells them that you are trying to justify breaking one of God's commands to go do God's work, as you say. Right? They ignored the commands that God was giving them, and they justified it with an excuse that sounded righteous. And self-righteousness is a deadly trap for anyone to fall in. Why is it a deadly trap? Because the word self is in it. And the Bible tells us what to do with self. Jesus says, crucify self. Jesus said, you need to humble yourself. You need to surrender to Jesus. That's what he tells us. So these religious leaders, they were taking the commands that God was giving them, and they were ignoring them 
and justifying not following them, coming up with excuses. Are you doing the same thing with what God is commanding you to do today? God has put a command for you to do in your life. He's given you a calling, and you're not walking in it. And you come up with these excuses to justify why you're not doing what God has called you here to do. Oh, Lord, I don't have time. Or, or Lord, I need to do these things for ministry. I can't minister to them right now. I understand. God has been convicting me hard on this this past month. Because I've been so focused on getting things done that I started neglecting the people that God was placing in front of me. And God didn't call us to a corporate, corporate workplace. He's called us to relationship building. He called us to love God and love people. What command are you ignoring and coming up with an excuse not to follow God's command? A popular story for many missionaries here is, well, it's because I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, See, I was in another country, and I got kicked out, and here I am. Well, that's not an accident. God has placed you here for a reason. And as long as you're here, whether that be for a day, a month, a week, a year, you are to share Jesus with whomever God places in front of you because there's lost people right here in this city who need Jesus. God's not interested in the excuses. He's interested in our hearts surrendered to him. And so what is it that God is calling you to do? Let's look at verses 7 through 9. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So Jesus, he counters this question that the Pharisees give him. Jesus counters it, and he uses in his argument Scripture. This is really important for us, because Jesus models for us how to respond in such situations. He doesn't just lay an argument out, but he correlates it with Scripture. He backs it up with the Word of God. And as we witness, as we share, and as we do what we're instructed to do in 2 Timothy 4, to convince, to rebuke, and to exhort, we need to be correlating it with Scripture. Why? Because the emphasis needs to be taken back to God's Word. Because at the end of the day, God's Word, it's going to have its perfect work. See, we can make arguments all day, but at the end of the day, the Word of God is what's going to change a person. Isaiah 55, 11, it's not on the screen, but God says that His Word will not return to Him empty or void. And so Jesus, He doesn't just make this argument, but He takes them to the Scriptures. Scriptures that I'm sure these religious leaders were very well acquainted with maybe even memorized. And Jesus, he brings him back to the Word of God. But in order for us to do this in these situations, we must ourselves be in the Word of God. We can't point people to Scripture if we don't know the Scriptures ourselves. This is why it's important we're in the Word every day and we're clinging to sound doctrine. Why? Because there are false teachers who are coming to sow lies into the church. The Apostle Paul said that in the last days, people will heap up teachers to fit their skewed perception of Scripture. And this is why we need to be in the Scripture. So are you in the Word? Are you taking that time daily to be in the Word, covering yourself, washing yourself daily in the Word? Are you clinging to sound doctrine? Are you always ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is within you? Jesus was ready. He was ready not only to make this argument, but to back it up with Scripture. And he modeled for us how we should be as well. So he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied of these religious leaders. And he called them people who draw near to God with their mouths, but not their hearts. 
They had a belief in God, a belief in the scriptures, and they even had a zeal for these things, but they didn't have a heart to follow the word of God. They didn't have a heart to truly follow the Lord. What was in the religious leader's heart? A lack of surrender. And this is a very prevalent problem today in many people's lives today. It's a lack of surrender. There are many Christians today, but there are very few Christ followers. There are very few who just say, all right, Jesus, here I am. Use me. Do whatever you want with my life. My life is not my own. There are many who want to claim Jesus when things are going well, when God is providing and everyone's healthy, but there are few who follow Jesus regardless of the circumstances, who truly surrender to Jesus, who truly say, all right, Jesus, I'm going to do whatever you want for me. There are many people who are very learned in the Scriptures, who have a lot of knowledge, but there's not many who are doers of the Scriptures. God's not looking for education, money, wealth, or influence. He's looking for a heart that's surrendered to Him. And that's not to say God doesn't use those things. Sure He does. Praise the Lord. But He's interested in a heart that's surrendered to Him. And this is what you see throughout the Word of God. People who follow Jesus. Poor people, rich people, dumb people, educated people. God used them all. It had nothing to do with what they had or didn't have. It had to do with their heart. Is your heart surrendered to Jesus? As we've been studying through John 6, many people, they followed Jesus because they wanted to receive more from Him. They came to Him seeking to receive, not seeking to surrender. That's what we've been studying for the past two weeks. But at the end of the day, as we sang in that song, (laughs) Jesus owes us nothing. He owes us nothing. We owe Him everything. And the very least that we can be doing for Jesus is giving Him all of our lives each and every day. So are you surrendered today? What's in your heart? Is it a lack of surrender? Or is it a fiend obedience to Jesus? Because there are many people who claim to believe in Jesus, but not many who have faith. Not many who are truly surrendered. And we've shared this before, but there's a difference between belief and faith. James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. There's a difference between belief and faith. Have you truly surrendered to Jesus? So Jesus, he accused these religious leaders. He said, you draw near to me with your hearts, but not your mouth. You honor me with your lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus, once again, was interested in the heart of these religious leaders. And man, we've become very contrary to the teaching of Jesus today. Because somehow we've become so focused and interested in the numbers instead of the quantity of the followers. Instead of the quantity of our own heart, or the quality of our own heart to follow Jesus. We're so focused on on planting churches, but so disinterested in discipleship. Is our perspective the same as Jesus? Are we coming to Jesus with an outward look, or are we coming before him with a true internal change that he has brought to our life? Don't miss the heart of Jesus here. A true relationship with Jesus, it means you no longer live the way you once did. You live a changed life. And the last thing before we move on, because this is way too important to skip over, in verse 9. Jesus said, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Isaiah prophesied these religious leaders would teach the doctrines of men as the commandments of God. So in other words, they would come up with their own man-made statutes, customs, right, right, cultural bounds, and they would say, you need to do this in order to follow the Lord. Is this still happening today? Yes, this is still happening today. There are many people in many churches who are teaching the traditions of the world and devaluing the Word of God. 
We went to a church this past week, and before we went up and shared, they said, hey, can you just share and remind the church that there's only one God? I was shocked. I was like, we ought to remind them there's only one God? How do they believe that there's more than one God? It's because their tradition and their culture has been intertwined with their faith, and this is the result. Stop appropriating culture in order to minister to people. You don't need to compromise the truth of Scripture in order to reach a person. Why? Because if you do compromise the truth of Scripture, you're not sharing truth. The Word of God is truth. It's powerful. And we're to share it in truth, not to water it down, not to compromise it. Just remember, we're going to be accountable for what we share and what we don't share. We're going to be accountable for the truth that we present or the truth that we don't present to people. Each one of us will stand before God and give an account. And be aware of this. So many have lost this aspect and this fear of God. God is very much deserving of our fear. And His Word is to be revered. God didn't call us to this city to tickle ears. He called us here to share truth and to share Jesus. Why? Because there is no truth outside of Him. And Satan is trying to blind the world to lies. And we have the truth. It's right here. It's the Word of God. It's Jesus. And it's perfect. We don't need to water it down. Jude, Jude 3 says this, Behold, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Where are the Christians who contend for the faith today? Where are the Christians who contend for the Word of God? We're in a battle There's people who are also in this battle who are not serving God, who are trying to share lies and trying to share false teaching. There's destructive heresies that are being shared right here in this very city. Remember, 98% of truth is not truth. False teaching, it's a poison. And many rat poisons, 98% of rat poison is harmless for the rat, but 2% is deadly. It's the same with false teaching. 98% truth is not truth. God is calling us to contend for the truth, to contend for sound doctrine. That's what Jesus did here in this passage. This is exactly what he did. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 14 says, That good thing, the word of God, which was committed or entrusted to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The word of God has been entrusted to us as Christians, entrusted to us to go out and share the truth of it to this world around us. But once again, we will be accountable for what we're sharing with this world. And a lie that's believed today is that we need to compromise or water down the Word of God in order to reach someone. We've become uncomfortable with the reality of Scripture. We've become uncomfortable with the reality that the wages of sin is death. That's very much true. We're uncomfortable to talk about hell. Hell's a real place. And there are millions of people who are going there. We've become uncomfortable teaching that there's only one way, one truth, and one life. And this is a very dangerous thing to fall into. This is exactly what the religious leaders were doing. They took God's word, and the priority was no longer on it. Now, is respecting culture good? Yes. Are adapting certain customs good? Sure. Do they take precedent to the word of God? No. Just remember, we're accountable for what we share. Let's look at verses 10 through 11. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. 
So Jesus turns his attention off the religious leaders, and now he's talking to the multitude. This multitude gathered around Jesus when he was talking with the religious leaders. These were just common people. And Jesus told them that what went into their mouths did not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth. The word defile here, it means to profane. The word profane, it means to go against something that is sacred, or in this case, biblical. Now, in the context, Jesus was, again, dealing with ceremonial washings that the religious leaders had enacted upon the people of Israel. This is the context that Jesus is talking about here. And it's very important that we understand what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying that you can watch, listen to, and do whatever you want because it's not about what goes in but what comes out. That's not what Jesus is saying. Context is king. See the context of what Jesus is referring to. Jesus isn't saying that you can go fornicate your eyes with the filth of this world and that that doesn't defile you. No, that's not what he's saying. The context is he's referring to the ceremonial washings. And Jesus said the issue isn't about the external, it's about the internal. It's about the matter of the heart. And Jesus, he's going to interpret this very statement in verses 17 through 20. So we're, we're going to wait until we get there. Let's move on to verse 12. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So the disciples come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, you offended the Pharisees. Now, this sounds familiar because last week in John chapter 6, thousands of people were offended at the teaching of Jesus. The word offended is a Greek word called skandalizo, where we get our English word scandal from, and it means to cause someone displeasure. The words that Jesus taught to people displeased people. Why? Because the words that Jesus shared challenged their sinful hearts to change. The words that Jesus shared went against what their heart and their flesh wanted. Many did not want to hear the message of the truth. And the same is true today. So seeing that Jesus, he offended the religious leaders with his teaching, he offended thousands of people last week in John 6 with his teaching, is it safe to say that Jesus was not a man pleaser? I think that's pretty safe to say. Jesus was doing the will of God, even if it meant causing offense to the people he was sharing with. And just like the people in, in these times in Scripture as people today, many people don't want to hear the message of the truth. Because the truth and the light of the gospel shines on a person's darkness and exposes what is in the dark. It exposes what's in man's heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 3 tells us that truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. This is all of our hearts. Right? Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is very contrary to the worldly teachings today. They tell you, follow your heart. Well, guess what? Man did follow his heart, and that's why we're in the mess we're in today. Because our hearts are wicked. And therefore, when truth is shared to these hearts, the message is met with offense. Jesus, he did the will of God. He didn't do the will of man. He wasn't a man pleaser. And this is our example Many, many times we're worried about what people think. We worry about being rejected. And there are many Christians who consider if Jesus is worth it because they never once counted the cost from the start. People don't want to be rejected. They don't want to be pushed away. And so that, that, that fear of man, we, we, we talked about that a few weeks ago, the fear of man and why it's such a snare. Because it causes us to take our focus and our attention off Jesus and on people, on what people say about us. And if we're going to be men-pleasers, then we're not going to be able to share the truth of Scripture because the Bible tells us the message of the cross is an offense to those who are perishing. 
It's foolishness to those who don't know Christ. So many Christians, they're offended that people are offended at the gospel. Many Christians are offended that people are offended at the gospel and therefore they don't share it. But here's something we should be offended by. We should be offended by the fact that millions of people are going to burn in hell for eternity. You know, we have this example asked many times, but people will use it correlating to Scripture. I think it's a good example. But they, they, they would say, if there are millions of people dying of a sickness and you had the cure, wouldn't you share it? And everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there are millions of people dying from a sickness of sin. And they're going to spend eternity in hell. We have the answer. It's not us. It's the Word of God. It's Jesus. So are we going to go out and share it? Share that there's no life outside of Him. The message of the gospel of Jesus is going to offend people, but guess what? You know what's going to change their hearts? The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the same thing that may offend them is ultimately what is going to save them. So keep sharing. Keep sharing the truth. People are going to reject you for it. They rejected Jesus. Jesus didn't have many followers. He had 12 and one would betray him. One would deny him and the rest would forsake him. But Jesus, he taught the truth regardless. Remember, the gospel is the power of salvation. It's worth offending people over sharing. However, of course, as in all things, we should note that Jesus offended people with his message that he shared, but he did it out of love. The Bible doesn't tell us that we should just go out offending people, right? But it's okay to offend people as we share the truth of Scripture. That's important. James chapter 4, verse 17, and then we'll move on, says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. So if we know that there are people who need Jesus, we know the truth, we know that we need to share with them, and we don't share with them, I'll let you figure out the rest. Verses 13 through 14. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Sometimes you read statements by Jesus and it makes you think, wow, that was an intense statement he made. That wasn't a very pleasant statement he made. He just called the Pharisees blind. He said, let them fall into a ditch. What is Jesus saying? What is the heart of his statement that he makes in these verses? Well, he's telling the disciples that the religious leaders, they thought they were doing and teaching that which was of God, but God wasn't behind it because they took their eyes and their focus off of him. And Jesus told his disciples, just leave them alone. You just continue to be faithful. Do what I've called you to do. Because any work that is done that's not of God, it's not going to bear fruit. It's going to be uprooted. The work that's going to bear fruit is the work that God is doing through a life by his Holy Spirit. And Jesus, he didn't command his, his disciples to go take matters into their own hands and go attack the religious leaders. He didn't tell them, oh, hey, start preaching a message against them. He just said, leave them alone. Just, just leave them alone, right? Keep doing what I've called you to do. Jesus, he just committed them to the Father. And what a great example for us as we do this in ministry. Remember that we need to be committing everything and everyone to the Lord, not our resources. Jesus wasn't in a battle against the Pharisees. He was in a battle against sin, against spiritual forces of darkness. And the same is true for us. So Jesus, he responded to these accusations he received by simply being faithful and doing what God called him to do and speaking the truth in love. And we're to follow this example. Last thing, and then we'll move on. It's important to note, Jesus said the Pharisees would be uprooted, that they wouldn't be fruitful. Why? Because they were teaching the commands of men instead of the commands of God. 
And the only ministry that's going to bear fruit and not be uprooted is the one that God is doing in the lives of His people. So are you rooted in the Word of God? Are you rooted in prayer? Are you rooted in Jesus? And here's an important one. Are you rooted in humility? There's a lot of people, a lot of people who have great knowledge of God, a lot of people, but God's not interested in a heart of pride. He's interested in humility. Let's look at our last verses, 15 through 20. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So Peter, per typical Peter, and per typical disciple fashion, they just don't get it. And so they're like, Jesus, can you explain this to us? I just love Jesus' response. Are you without understanding? That's all he says. And this is a fun fact. But you look up this statement without understanding, it interprets in English to mean stupid. Not saying Jesus called the disciples stupid, but that's what it translates to mean. He just says, are you without understanding? Aren't you paying attention? Aren't you following what I have been doing and what I've been teaching you? I'm just like the disciples. Jesus tells me something and it just goes over my head. Right? He tells me something and I hear it, but I don't follow it. I'm out of tune with what Jesus is telling me. I'm, I'm the same as these disciples. I fully admit it. But Jesus, he explains to the disciples that the things that are defiled or profane or unbiblical and against God, these things come from the heart. What is in the heart will come out. What is in will come out. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And Jesus said that evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies, all these things come from the heart. So with that said, what is in your heart today? Is it Jesus or is it sin? Is it worship or is it sinful intentions and desires? Once again, the Bible says the heart is wicked. So what are you putting into your heart that is affecting what comes out of your heart and ultimately what comes out of your mouth? Where I lived in the city in the States, you would hear this a lot. People would say, you are who you hang with. And what it meant was who you're around is who you're going to be like. So what you're putting into your heart That's what's going to come out of your heart. And so if you're spending time in worship, if you're in the presence of Jesus, then you're going to radiate Jesus. But if you're feeding your heart with evil and with sin and with things that are not of God, it's going to affect your life because what's in your heart is going to come out. And people are going to notice it in your actions, in your words. Your life speaks louder than your words. So what are you putting into your heart and what are you exposing your heart to? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep your heart, or guard your heart, with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Are you guarding your heart? You might say, well, how can I guard my heart? Well, the Word of God has an answer. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your Word I have hidden in my heart, so that I might not sin against you. The Word of God is what combats the evil intentions of our hearts. And this is why we need to be in the Word daily, especially as we minister each day. Do you find that being in the Word is difficult every day? Because I do. I love the Word of God. I love reading it, but it's hard to be in it. Sometimes I just don't have the desire, right? Someone calls me as soon as I sit down to read. 
There's a reason for this. Because Satan doesn't want us in the Word of God. And our flesh doesn't want it either. And this is why the Bible says it's a daily struggle against the Spirit in our flesh. Because the enemy doesn't want the truth of Scripture to permeate and change our hearts. He would much rather have us think that we can't change and that we will always be in our sin. He wants us to go out as defeated Christians. Because a defeated Christian can't share about the freedom that they're not walking in. But we're not defeated because Jesus is alive. He's saved us. He's changed us. As we sang in the song, we are set free and we're free indeed through what Jesus has done for us. So what are you putting into your heart? What are you feeding your heart with first thing in the morning? What are you feeding your heart with before you go out and minister? What did you feed your heart with before you came here? What are you putting in your heart? We have to be in the Word. It's not about just coming to church and appearing holy on the outside, but we must be daily crucifying our flesh and the evil passions of our heart, being in the Word, washing ourselves in it daily. We should be the same person in private that we are here when we come to church and in, in fellowship with everyone else. So I'll conclude with this, and then we'll, we'll take communion together. As we studied Matthew 15, 1-20, we looked at Jesus. He was refuting accusations of the religious leaders. And he told them that God was interested in the matter of their heart, not on that which is external. In Jesus, he set an example and modeled for us how to contend for the faith, how to speak the truth in love, and how to commit such people and situations to the Lord. But we also ask this question, what is in your heart today? Is it the things and ways of God? Or have you been weighed down by sins and the passions of the flesh? What's in your heart will come out. People out here in this city, they're going to know who you are based upon the way you live your life, based upon the words that come out of your mouth. And if we're in the presence of Jesus, we're going to radiate Jesus. So this question, what's in your heart, I want you to think on that. And as communion is, is about to be passed out, I want you to think on this question as we are going to take in communion today. Because the act of communion is it's an act of obedience. It's an act of worship to God, but it's a very serious matter. It's not something that God takes lightly. The reason He doesn't take it lightly is because it represents the communion that we have with Him. It represents the unity that we have with Him. It shows us the power in His blood. It shows us in the power of His, of His body being broken on the cross for us. And so as He asks the question, what is in your heart today? I want you to think about this as communion's being passed out because maybe there's sin in your heart. Maybe there's been someone or something in your life that has been weighing you down and causing you to just be distant from your relationship with Christ. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that you need reconciliation in, that you, that you need to ask for forgiveness for, or maybe forgive someone in your life. Whatever it is in your heart that has been weighing you down, now is the time to lay it down before Jesus before we share in communion together. And if there's a relationship that you need to reconcile, I encourage you, step out, make a phone call if you can. If there's a sin in your life, I encourage you, repent of that sin. And maybe you're here today and you're like, my heart is just not right today. I just, I've been struggling in my walk with Christ. Then don't partake today. There's no, there's no judgment with that. But this is a, a serious thing, a serious matter. And so what is it in your heart that you need to repent of? Here's the great news. The great news is we don't serve a God who has a legalistic system that you need to repent for a whole week before you can share in communion. We serve a God that is interested in getting your heart right right now. We serve a God who we can freely come before Him in His presence and we can lay our sins down and lay our lives down before Him and surrender to Him. 
Jesus died so that we don't have to be slaves anymore. We're not slaves to our sins. Satan wants you to believe that, but that's not who we are. We're changed. We've been forgiven. We've been saved. And so this act of communion, it's an act of obedience. And this act is for the Christian. If you are not a Christian, I would ask you not to partake. This is reserved for the believer in Jesus Christ because, once again, it represents the unity and the union between us and God. And so as as you just have the communion, we're just going to take a moment, a couple minutes. We're just going to take some time and we're just going to pray. There's going to be a song that's played up here and I just encourage you, take this time during this song to just pray. Ask the Lord to search your heart. David would often pray this. He prayed it in the Psalms. He said, search me and know me, O God. See if there's any wicked way in me. And maybe that's what we need to pray today. Ask God to search your heart. And if there's a sin to repent of, Now's the time to just take this before the the throne of God. Now's the time to surrender it to Him. Lord, we thank You that, Lord, You gave Your one and only Son to die on the cross that we might be forgiven and have life and life eternal. Lord, that we might not be slaves to our sin, but that we might be free. That we might, Lord, truly have life and forgiveness and peace with You. Lord, we thank You. Lord, we acknowledge that we're free. We acknowledge, Lord, that we are Yours and that we're slaves no more to our sin. Lord, if there's anything within our hearts that has been separating us from you, Lord, just reveal these things to us, Lord. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive me, Lord, for many times just losing sight that you are not just Savior, but your Lord, that you deserve all, not part. Lord, we just thank you that you are a God full of compassion, that you are gracious and loving, and Lord, that you are ready and willing to forgive our sins because the death and resurrection of Jesus is enough. So, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this amazing opportunity. Lord, thank you for Jesus and his shed blood on the cross, for his body that was broken, and we thank you that he is alive. And our hope in you, it's living, Lord. It's a living hope. So, Father, we thank you. And, Lord, we take this together as your church as an act of obedience, and we just ask, God, that you would bless this. In Jesus' name, amen.